MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, July 29th, 2021. Today, experts respond to the Department of Justice refusing to certify that Mo Brooks was acting within the scope of his duties as a congressman when he instigated the attack on the Capitol. The Senate is close to, and in fact, I think they just did pass a smaller bipartisan infrastructure bill. Jared Kushner announces he's leaving politics to open a money laundering firm. I mean, investment firm. The Justice Department sends a second warning to states conducting third party election audits. And the chair of the one six commission says we should expect subpoenas soon. As Jim Jordan admits on television, he spoke to Trump on the day of the attack. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Jim Jordan is such a fucking tool. Dana. Oh, I mean, seriously. He had a real Manafort vibe going into that, too. He's like, what? I don't know. I, I, I talk to the president all the time. <laughs> what are you doing, dude? <laughs> and I have no interview today. Instead, I will be going over the intricacies of the DOJ decision on Mo Brooks that Jill Weinbanks and I talked about in yesterday's show. Now that I've had a chance to read it very carefully, this is such huge news, Dana, and I can't understand why it's not being covered. I mean, I know there's other stuff going on. But this was a big deal. I agree. All right. Well, with that out of the way, let's do this thing where we talk about uh, some of the headlines together and hit the hot notes. <laughs> hot notes. That was all a mess in the best way possible. Just I didn't know you were starting again in discussion. And so I didn't really participate, but I thought we were bullshitting off the air. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, let's do the thing when we read the news because that's what we do yeah all right hit him hit the top story all right (laughs) the lead story today comes from the one six commission chair benny thompson who says we should expect the first round of subpoenas soon which makes me think of that meme you know where the the cat's like soon (laughs) from chris marquette at roll call after hearing hours of gripping testimony from four police officers who endured grave physical and emotional wounds during the capital attack The January 6th select committee members will have time to digest those accounts before the next hearing, which could happen at some point in August. Quote, it sets the right tone for the work of this committee. That is what Chairman Benny Thompson, Democrat from Mississippi, said of the four officers' stories. He continued to say, but it also says that there is significant work that we have to do over the next few months. Now, it's unclear what the exact focus of the panel will be in the second hearing. But when Thompson asked the officers what they need to see from this inquiry, They all pretty much said they wanted to know (laughs) who started it, basically. Seems reasonable. Quote, I need you guys to address if anyone in power had a role in this. That's what Daniel Hodges said. And we played a couple of clips from that yesterday, including Officer Dunn, who who did his hitman analysis. That scope will include what role former President Donald Trump and his administrators may have played in the events of January 6th. Rep Liz Cheney says, obviously, the events of that day at the White House are are a focus. So they're looking into it. They're going to. Thompson said the committee plans to obtain materials that were compiled as part of the second impeachment of Trump, which took place days after the insurrection. And Thompson confirms what I've been saying about coordinating with Maine Justice. He said the panel plans to speak with Attorney General Merrick Garland regarding ground rules for accessing relevant information from the ongoing criminal prosecutions. Quote, 
We plan to eventually have a conversation with the attorney general about some of the ground rules for that. We think it's important that the committee have any and all access to that information and some information as it relates to some of the prosecutions that are ongoing without interrupting it, he said. But we think there should be information that they've been able to uncover that our committee can have access to. So I'm very glad they're you know worried about messing with the criminal investigation by doing this. We saw that happen in a round contract. Absolutely. Yeah. Additionally, Thompson said he expects the first wave of subpoenas to come soon, as I said. I would expect Jim Jordan to be one of those subpoenaed. He admitted on Fox News last night and again today on some other weird right wing (laughs) radio show that he did, in fact, talk to Trump on the phone the day of the insurrection. Let's listen to let's listen to his idiotic, weird tirade. He's obviously going to go down a number of different roads uh, about who knew what, when, who was talking to coordinators of the protest. Did you talk to the former president that day? I've talked to the former president umpteen times, thousands. I mean, I may not thousands, I mean, on times, January but countless, 6th. countless times. I talked to the president. I never talk about what we talk about. because I just don't think that's appropriate. Just like I don't talk about what happens in Republican conferences. Sure. So I've talked to the president numerous times. Uh, I continue to talk to the president. No, no, since no, I he's mean, left on office. January 6th, Congressman. Yes. I, I mean, I've talked to the president. I've talked to the president so many. I can't remember all the days I've talked to him, but I've certainly talked to the president. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's Jim Jordan. <laughs> uh, what did you guys talk about? Uh, Pelosi, the police. Uh, what do we cut? the Cut the feed. Cut the feed. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God, he's they're all. I mean, just let him trip over their own. I, I don't even say dicks because just let him trip over. He doesn't even have it. He has a tie. He doesn't have a blazer. So I can't. He's such a piece of shit. Let him trip over their own ties. That's better. let him yeah, tip over is. his own tie. Trump's is seven and a half feet long. Okay. (laughs) The DOJ on Wednesday issued a second warning. This is the second time to states considering their own, quote, so-called audits of the 2020 election, highlighting federal laws that those efforts may violate. Now, according to new guidance, the DOJ is concerned that some jurisdictions conducting audits may be using or proposing to use procedures that risk violating the Civil Rights Act. They are which requires that elections officials retain and preserve federal election materials for 22 months after an election. Now, while the guidance doesn't specifically reference Arizona in that section, it's what they're fucking talking about. The Justice Department has previously (laughs) raised concerns in a May letter that the state's Republican-led Senate was at risk of violating the act with its audit. The state Senate had subpoenaed 2.1 million ballots from Maricopa County, that's the state's largest, and handed them over to an outside contractor, which we covered in depth, called the Cyber Ninjas, whose CEO has promoted election conspiracy theories, uh, and they hired them to look into the former guys and his supporters' baseless accusations of widespread voter fraud. That audit is ongoing and not going well. Okay, But the DOJ did send another letter to Arizona saying they have heard reports that they're considering going door-to-door to question voters about their qualifications. The DOJ reminds them, again, that's akin to voter intimidation, which is against the law. Ding, 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 ding. And encourages Arizonans concerned about the chain of custody of their ballots or voter intimidation to contact the voting rights section of the Civil Rights Division. And that phone number, if there's anyone in Arizona that happens to be listening to the Daily Beans that may think this shit is valid, it's 1-800-253-3931. Okay. I can't. I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Take your cyber ninja concerns, chain of custody concerns. Is my ballot in a cabin in Montana being shit on by Chuck Norris? What's happening with my ballot? You can call him again, 800 253 3931. And Jared Kushner, 
is, quote unquote, leaving politics. I didn't know he was a politician. (laughs) The Kush plans to launch an investment firm in coming months, a move that will take him away from politics for the foreseeable future. (laughs) Oh, my God. What's he doing? Kushner, obviously former chief executive of Kushner Companies, who served as a Republican president's senior advisor in the White House, is in the final stages of launching an investment firm called Affinity Partners that will be headquartered in Miami. Kushner, who's married to Ivanka, as we know, is uh, also looking to open an office in Israel to pursue regional investments to connect Israel's economy in India, North Africa, and the Gulf. That's according to two people briefed on the plan who spoke on the condition of anonymity. Of course they did. The sources had no details about potential investors and said the firm was still in the planning phase. So (laughs) I don't know who wants to give their money to Jared Kushner. Oh, my God. The firm's sort of still a fetus, just like Jared Kushner. (laughs) The guy who came up with the brilliant two-state solution to the the crisis in the Middle East, (laughs) but didn't invite one of the states to talk about it. He's very smart. He's as, he's yeah, he's about engaging as what an unscented lotion. I think that's what someone called him once, which made me laugh very hard. All right. This is uh, you just watched. Did you just watch this vote? No. Yeah, yes. I just was watching this vote. It looks like they're going to have enough votes. And I think this is a procedural vote. It still needs to go to the House. But, you know, this is this is the story, right? Yeah. So let me tell you all what we're talking about. Senators on Wednesday, key senators announced that they had reached a bipartisan infrastructure deal, setting up a potential vote to advance the plan within hours of Majority Leader Chuck Schumer as he rushes to get it through the chamber. So this is all happening while we're recording right before. This is a quote. We now have an agreement with the major issues. And that's from Senator Rob Portman of Ohio. He's the lead GOP negotiator on this. And he said, we're prepared to move forward. Now, the Democrat leading her party's infrastructure effort, Senator Sinema of Arizona, also said, we've got a deal with most of the bill's text completed. That's according to NBC News. She said she spoke to President Joe Biden, who is, quote, excited to move this bill forward. Now, Biden later told reporters he feels confident about the agreement. Well, Schumer from New York, as we know, said he hopes to hold a procedural vote to advance the plan Wednesday night. It just happened. The measure will need 60 votes to advance or 10 Republicans if all 50 members of the Democratic caucus back it. And he said, I believe we have the votes for that. So for the Republicans, Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, concerned Senator Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Mitt Romney of Utah, they adjoined Portman in announcing the deal after they met with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. It was unclear how many more GOP senators would prepare to advance the plan. Now, AG, I'm confused because I'm seeing some shit from McConnell giving cinema like props for not voting on this thing or not backing it. What's going on there? Well, that's the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill. Got it. Okay. That she doesn't like the price tag of. And, you know, as you and I have discussed multiple times, it started at $6 trillion. Yes. It's down to $3.5 trillion. And in order to get Mansion and Cinema on board, they'll probably need to bring it down to $3 trillion, which is likely where it'll end up, but we don't know yet. But this is just the smaller $1 trillion old school infrastructure bill that the Republicans, this is the bipartisan Republican bill. And they did get 67 votes. I'm looking at it right now. The 17 Republicans who voted yes on this are Blunt, Burr, Capito, Cassidy, Collins, Kramer, and Crapo, Graham, Grassley, Haven, McConnell, Murkowski, Portman, Risch, Romney, Tillis, and Young. So those are the 
Republicans who supported this bipartisan infrastructure bill. Was uh, Cruz playing basketball? Did he make the vote this time or no? (laughs) I think he voted no. Okay, just checking. So anyway, that's, yeah, that's what's going on with that right now. We'll have more on that because, you know, remember Biden said, I'm not signing one without the other. And then he sort of backed off that language. We are still working on that $3.5 trillion separate budget reconciliation infrastructure package that's going on. Although some progressives in the House are saying they're not going to vote on this bill that just passed the Senate, the bipartisan bill, if they don't get what they want in the reconciliation bill. So we'll see what happens to it in the House. But there's a razor thin majority there with Democrats. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll see what happens there. All right. We'll be right back with the language from the Department of Justice decision to refuse to certify that Mo Brooks was acting within the scope of his duties as a congressman when he helped incite the insurrection. There are very important details in this that I think the media is missing. So stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Thanks for listening to The Daily Beans. Today's episode is brought to you by Canva Pro. We've created a wide range of content for this show and my other shows, videos, social posts, website designs, logos, posters, etc. But it hasn't always been a seamless creative process. It took a lot of time and was limited by my design skills and the software I was using. But ever since I discovered Canva Pro, I can design anything like a pro on any device. Canva Pro is a design platform that empowers you to create and share stunning content in just a few clicks. Designing with Canva Pro is easy and fun, no matter what your level of experience is. And there are thousands of professionally designed templates that you can customize with simple drag and drop tools or start from scratch. Adding personality and edge to your designs is easy with Canva Pro's endless fonts and tools and photos and videos. And their extensive library of things and features, imagery is available, all of it in one subscription. You never pay for another image again. With Canva Pro's access to 75 million high-quality photos, sharing, creating, and organizing designs as a group has never been easier. Canva Pro helps you maintain team projects all in one place. No more lost files or chasing data. With Canva Pro's content planner, you'll save time planning, creating, and posting on social media. Pause scheduled posts and edit them anytime. My favorite Canva Pro feature is the access to over 400,000 free templates with new designs daily. I can easily design new logos, posters, web events, and more. So design like a pro with Canva Pro right now. You can get a free 45-day extended trial when you use promo code that we have here for you. Just go to canva.me slash beans and get your free 45-day extended trial. Again, that's canva, C-A-N-V-A dot me, M-E slash beans. Canva.me slash beans. You'll be glad you did. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. So in the case of Swalwell, the Donald Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Rudy Giuliani and Mo Brooks, Mo Brooks asked the Department of Justice to certify that he was actually acting within the scope of his office or employment. Now, had Mo Brooks been successful in obtaining this certification, the Department of Justice would have shielded him from civil claims and this suit probably would have gone nowhere. Steve Vladek has pointed out, however, that Mo Brooks can still petition the court directly to certify his conduct. But Joyce Vance says that that will likely fail. And Vladek said probably, but he wanted us to know that he still has other avenues and this decision isn't the absolute end of the road for Brooks. But there were much broader implications to this decision besides the viability of Swalwell's lawsuit. A certification by the Department of Justice would have signaled that they didn't believe the language used by Trump, Trump Jr., Rudy or Mo Brooks instigated an attack on the Capitol. But with this decision, the DOJ has confirmed that the kind of language they used at the ellipse was not only outside of the scope of their duties, but if Swalwell's allegations are true, these people actually incited the insurrection. That does more than just argue against certification of Brooks' behavior. It says to me that the Department of Justice is actively investigating the language of those that incited the riot. 
And I don't understand why the mainstream media isn't screaming this from the rooftops, because everyone's been demanding to know whether the Department of Justice is investigating the organizers and the funders and the insiders. And this filing pretty much confirms that they are. They even explicitly say there in the document that they're currently investigating this. And I'm going to go over this with you today because I cannot begin to convey the importance of this decision and how relieved we should all be that it did not go the other way. So let's start with the introduction. It says, this case arises out of the violent attack at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Plaintiff Eric Swalwell filed suit against defendant Morris Brooks, (laughs) Mo, and his name is Morris, in his personal capacity, asserting two statutory claims and seven tort claims based on Brooks's conduct at the rally at the Ellipse south of the White House that morning and Brooks' alleged participation in a conspiracy to instigate the attack on the Capitol that followed. In response to the plaintiff's suit, Brooks submitted a request to the Department of Justice for certification under the Westfall Act that he was acting within the scope of his office or employment as a member of Congress at the time of the conduct alleged in the complaint. Brooks later petitioned the court for a scope of employment certification, and the court called for the United States to respond by July 27, 2021. That's what this response is. When a federal employee is sued for tortious conduct, the Westfall Act authorizes the department to determine whether the employee was acting within the scope of his office or employment at the time of the incident out of which the claim arose. U.S. Code 28, Section 2679D. If the department certifies that the employee was acting within the scope, the employee is dismissed and the action proceeds against the United States. If the department declines to issue certification, the case proceeds against the individual defendant in his personal capacity. In response to the court's order, the United States hereby reports that the department has declined to issue a certification because it cannot conclude that Brooks was acting within the scope of his office or employment as a member of Congress at the time of the incident out of which the claims in this case arose. In light of the department's declination, the United States should not be substituted as a defendant in this action. They go on to say the Westfall Act permits Brooks to petition the court for a judicial determination of scope, as Brooks has done. The United States respectfully submits to the court should deny Brooks's petition because the department has declined to certify. Brooks bears the burden of showing that his actions were within the scope of the Office of Employment as a member of Congress. And as explained below, Brooks has not carried that burden. The record indicates that Brooks's appearance at the January 6th rally was a campaign activity, and it is no part of the business of the United States to pick sides among candidates in federal elections. Members of Congress are subject to a host of restrictions that carefully distinguish between their official functions on the one hand and campaign functions on the other. The conduct at issue here thus is not the kind a member of Congress holds office to perform or substantially within the authorized time and space limits as required by governing law. Indeed, although the scope of employment related to the duties of a member of Congress is undoubtedly broad and there are some activities that cannot be neatly cleaved into official and personal categories, Brooks' request for certification and substitution of the United States for campaign-related conduct appears to be unprecedented. And in a variety of contexts involving state and local elected officials, courts have routinely rejected claims that campaigning and electioneering activities fall within the scope of official employment. Brooks thus has not sustained his burden of demonstrating that his conduct at the January 6th rally was undertaken in his official capacity. In addition, the complaint alleges that Brooks engaged in conduct that, if proven, would plainly fall outside the scope of employment for an officer or employee of the United States conspiring to prevent the lawful certification of the 2020 election and to injure members of Congress and inciting the riot at the Capitol. 
alleged action to attack Congress and disrupt its official functions is not conduct a member of Congress is employed to perform and is not actuated by a purpose to serve the employer, which is required by D.C. law to fall within the scope of employment. Thus, if the court were to reject our argument that the campaign nature of the January 6th rally resolves certification, the court should not certify that Brooks was acting within the scope of his office or employment unless it concludes that he did not engage in the conspiracy and incitement alleged in the complaint. Now, finally, the court should deny the petition as to counts one and two because they are not subject at all to the Westfall Act. They're not tort claims. Those claims seek to recover for alleged violations of U.S. Code 42, Sections 1985 and 1986, and the Westfall Act does not reach claims based on a violation of statute of the United States, according to U.S. Code 28, Section 2679, Section Bravo 2 Bravo. I pulled those laws, by the way. 24 U.S. Code Section 1985 is conspiracy to interfere with civil rights by either one, preventing an officer from performing duties, two, obstructing justice or intimidating a party, witness or jury, three, depriving persons of rights and privileges. Section 1986 is action for neglect to prevent and says every person who, having knowledge that any of the wrongs conspired to be done and mentioned in Section 1985 are about to be committed, and having power to prevent or aid in preventing the commission of the same, neglects or refuses to do so, if such a wrongful act be committed, should be liable to the party injured or his legal representatives for all damages caused by such a wrongful act. So that's a a long way of saying, if you know that what was going on in Section 1985 was going to happen and you didn't do anything to stop it or you didn't even aid to stop it, you're liable here. So that's what that says. And, of course, the Westfall Act doesn't cover claims based on violation of law, just the tort stuff. So the gist here is that Mo Brooks and his ellipse speech where he said it's time to write down names and kick ass is not within the scope of his duties as a congressman because, one, that was a campaign rally and campaigning is not part of your job as a congressman. But further, the DOJ says to the court, even if you don't buy our campaign rally thing, you should still refuse to certify because Swalwell alleges that Mo Brooks instigated the attack on the Capitol, and that is way, way outside the scope of his job, because you can't say it's part of your job to overthrow your boss. And finally, the Westfall Act doesn't even cover the first two counts because they allege he broke the law, and breaking the law can never be part of the job of a lawmaker. Now, after I shared the Department of Justice decision not to certify Mo Brooks' speech as part of his job, a lot of folks said, I can't believe we have to have the DOJ tell us that inciting an insurrection isn't part of his job. And I want to address that because that's not what we were waiting to hear. We all know that inciting an insurrection or breaking the law are not within the scope of the duties of a congressperson. That's not what we needed to be told. That's not what we were waiting for. What we were waiting for was to see if the Department of Justice considered Mo Brooks's language as instigating the attack on the Capitol. We were waiting to learn whether the Department of Justice was going to protect that speech, much like they protected the speech of Donald Trump in the E. Jean Carroll case. Because how can Mo Brooks's language be considered outside the scope of his job, but Trump defaming E. Jean Carroll is somehow within the scope of his job? That doesn't make any sense to me. That's why we were all worried. The only notable difference is that the former Department of Justice made the E. Jean Carroll call and this DOJ upheld it, whereas in the Brooks case, this was all Garland's call. There was no previous decision made by anyone in the Department of Justice. And I was frankly worried that Merrick Garland would apply the same standards here that he applied to the E. Jean Carroll case. The fact that he didn't actually only strengthens my belief that the E. Jean Carroll call was the very wrong one 
And this is the right one. And Garland should be asked why he's not willing to overturn patently wrong decisions made by a prior attorney general. It's weird. You have to do what's right. You have to do what the law says. In any case, we'll be right back with some more of this language. It gets it gets real deep. It gets real deep state. We'll get more to that language in this decision right after this. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this segment of The Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp can help if you're struggling with anything that's holding you back from living a happier and more fulfilling life. A professional counselor from BetterHelp can assist you in coping with life's challenges. They can assess your needs and assign you an experienced, licensed therapist within 24 hours, so you can begin communicating immediately. And I've learned through my own experiences with post-traumatic stress and anxiety, it's always better to seek help rather than to deal with it on your own. And you aren't alone. And it is hard to ask for help, but BetterHelp makes it so easy. Because what I love about BetterHelp is how convenient it is. You can contact your counselor anytime by logging into your account from anywhere in the world. Receive prompt and thoughtful responses and schedule weekly video or phone sessions, too. And by making counselor changes easy and free, BetterHelp facilitates great therapeutic matches. It's more affordable than offline counseling. And financial aid's available too. So visit their website and read some of their testimonials like this one by BetterHelp user KA, who says, Dr. Allen is compassionate, thoughtful, and a good listener. She also excels in giving me new metaphors and new ways to reframe my experiences so that I can help myself grow and overcome negative thoughts. I feel really lucky that I got matched with such a calm, practical counselor. So visit betterhelp.com slash dailybeans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. You get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by Everlane. It's summertime, living is easy, and with Everlane's summer wardrobe, it's even better. Everlane offers premium quality essentials that complement every outfit at a very affordable price. I love Everlane's clothes. I recently got their Recotton Henley tee in citrus color. It's beautiful. It's butter soft. It looks amazing. It fits well, and it's made to last. It's comfortable and light, and it's made of 60% recycled cotton fabric that's soft and breathable. Everlane has made quality clothing with ethical factories and radically transparent pricing since 2010. They only use ethical factories that provide fair wages and reasonable hours to the skilled people who craft their clothing. Everlane prides itself on timeless design and the finest sustainable materials, so you can wear them for years to come so they don't end up in landfills. It's amazing. Everlane provides excellent quality, and I love the fact their clothes are made ethically. Everlane has everything you need to upgrade your summer wardrobe, so check out their amazing sustainable swimwear collection, which is made from 13,000 pounds of recycled plastic. Everlane has all the everyday essentials you need, from damn good denim to super soft loungewear. So go to everlane.com slash dailybeans and sign up for 10% off your first order plus free shipping. And you get easy returns within 30 days of your ship date. Their customer service is wonderful. That's 10% off your first order when you go to everlane.com slash dailybeans and sign up. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, I want to jump ahead, if you're following along, to page eight of this document from the Department of Justice. And this is where the language comes in about the Department of Justice's investigation. First, I want to read you a short thread I posted on Twitter about my red lines with Merrick Garland and my predictions of how he would respond to the Mo Brooks certification request. I put this out yesterday morning before we got the decision. All right, thread on democracy. I have three lines for the Justice Department, and I tagged them. Three red lines, and one of them is due any minute. First, the DOJ must decide today whether Mo Brooks' seditious language was within the scope of his duties as a congressman. Deciding to back Mo Brooks would cross a red line for me. Again, number two, Mueller handed over evidence that Trump obstructed justice. If the Department of Justice announces they will not pursue those charges, that would cross a red line. Many say, well, what's the point if New York's going to get him anyway? But as Andy McCabe said to me about Crossfire Hurricane, the Trump-Russia investigation, we would be derelict in our duty if we didn't investigate. Same thing happened with the impeachment. Why bother if the Senate's not going to convict? Because duty requires it. 
not pursuing obstruction of justice would be a dereliction of duty. Finally, if the Department of Justice represents Trump in the civil suits against him for his role in the insurrection, that would also be a red line for me. Accountability and duty to equal justice under law is essential for our democracy to survive. P.S. I say, many are asking what I think the DOJ is going to do in the Brooks case. I believe they will not say his language is within the scope of his duties because the insurrection is currently being investigated and they're going to wait for that determination. Well, that reasoning turns out to be part of the reason why the DOJ isn't certifying Brooks' speech. This is from page eight of the DOJ filing. Quote, that alleged conduct plainly would not qualify as within the scope of employment for an officer or employee of the United States because attacking one's employer is different in kind from any authorized conduct and not actuated by purpose to serve the employer. Brooks does not argue otherwise. Instead, he denies the complaint's allegations of conspiracy and incitement. The department does not address this issue here because the campaign-related nature of the rally independently warrants denial of certification and because the department is engaged in an ongoing investigation into the events of January 6th more generally. But if the court were to reject our argument that the campaign nature of the January 6th rally resolves certification, the court should not certify that Brooks was acting within the scope of his office of employment unless it concludes that Brooks did not engage in the sort of conduct alleged in the complaint. Did you catch that? The court would need to conclude either through the suit or through the ongoing investigation that we are conducting, that Brooks did not instigate the attack on the Capitol. I said that I did not think the DOJ would certify Brooks because the insurrection is being investigated and they would need to wait for the court's determination. So, all right, jumping ahead now. The next few sections are the Department of Justice going over the rules that say campaigning is not within the scope of the job of a congressman and that he failed to show that his participation in the rally would otherwise be in the scope. Department of Justice says Brooks offers only one reason why his participation at the January 6th rally would fall within the scope. In his view, his conduct occurred in the context of and in preparation for congressional votes on January 6, 2021, which concerned the certification of the Electoral College votes cast for the presidential candidates. Brooks asserts that his conduct during the incidents alleged in the complaint was related to his duty to vote on whether to accept or reject the Electoral College vote submittals of various states. That is, Brooks argues that he participated in the rally in connection with his duty to participate in the certification of the election. But Brooks has not established that he was acting within the scope of his office of employment, uh, office or employment relating to participation in the certification of the electoral votes when participating in the rally. The Constitution requires the counting of votes for presidential candidates before the Senate and the House. U.S. Constitution Amendment 12 and a federal statute prescribes a procedure for those bodies to assemble in the House chamber to certify the votes and lodge objections. This is no doubt a solemn duty of a member of Congress. Brooks's contentions, however, do not establish that his electioneering or campaign activities were within the scope of his office or employment relating to that role. Political campaigns and electioneering activity routinely address actions that candidates have taken or will take in their official capacities, such as voting on legislation. But the fact that such partisan campaign activities discuss a candidate's official duties does not mean that those activities themselves are official duties or are within the scope of his office or employment that are properly regarded as incidental to those duties. So <laughs> talking about your duties in a campaign speech isn't the same as doing your duty. <laughs> That's campaigning. Then on page 19, Department of Justice talks about how instigating a riot against your employer isn't part of your job. Interestingly, the Department of Justice didn't have to go here because they're refusing to certify based on the fact that Brooks was campaigning. But the DOJ does go here. And I really think that that's fascinating and important. 
The complaint alleges that Brooks conspired with others to instigate a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol and incited a riot there. Instigating such an attack plainly could not be within the scope of federal employment. Under District of Columbia law, an employee who maliciously acts contrary to his employer's interests acts outside the scope of his employment. As courts have explained, conduct directed towards thwarting the business of the employer is plainly outside the scope of employment because it would be conceptually incoherent to think that undermining an employer's business is attributable to the employer itself. Here, the complaint alleges that Brooks conspired with other defendants and the rioters who breached the Capitol on January 6th to prevent Congress from certifying the Electoral College votes. To serve that end, the complaint alleges that, among other things, the defendants conspired amongst themselves and with others to injure members of Congress and Vice President Pence in an effort to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power. Such a conspiracy would clearly be outside of the scope of the office for a member of Congress Inciting or conspiring to foment a violent attack on the United States Congress is not within the scope of employment of a representative or any federal employee, and thus is not the sort of conduct for which the United States is properly substituted as a defendant under the Westfall Act. That is a clear shot across the bow to the other people in this lawsuit, including Trump, Donald Trump Jr. and Rudy Giuliani, although uh, Rudy Giuliani was not a government employee. But any federal employee, this is outside of the scope of your job. If, if what is alleged in Swalwell's lawsuit is true. That right there. The DOJ just told us they will not represent any defendant that incited or conspired to foment a violent attack on the United States Congress. And Brooks does not argue otherwise, the DOJ continues. Instead, he denies the complaint's allegations that he conspired to incite the attack on the Capitol. The Department of Justice does not address that issue here. The campaign or electioneering nature of Brooks's participation in the January 6th rally independently warrants denial of certification, and the department is engaged in ongoing investigations into the events of January 6th more broadly. But if the court were to reject our argument that the campaign's nature of January 6th resolves the certification question, the court should not certify that Brooks was acting within the scope of his employment unless it concludes that Brooks did not engage in the sort of conduct alleged in the complaint. That's a repeat from earlier in the, in the document. The United States respectfully requests that Brooks' petition for a Westfall Act certification be denied. Respectfully submitted, Brian M. Boynton, Acting Assistant Attorney General, Civil Division. And guess who gets to decide? <laughs> Judge Mehta, Amit Mehta. And the Department of Justice even wrote him a proposed or order for denial. They wrote it and they said, here, you can just sign this if you want. Now, with regards to the Eugene Carroll case, I do not understand why the Department of Justice didn't say something similar. In this case, they say what Swalwell alleges is true and Brooks conspired to instigate an attack on the Capitol, that shit would be outside of the scope of his duties. So why didn't the same hold true for the Carroll case? Why didn't they say that if what Carroll alleges is true and Trump lied about raping her, lying about raping her would be outside of the scope of his duties? Why don't they apply the same concept here? I did find some interesting language in this Brooks filing that seems a bit pointed. Conduct that affirmatively seeks to thwart the employer's interest is thus categorically different from conduct that is merely prohibited or otherwise wrongful. The Westfall Act and the common law tort principles it incorporates recognize that in some instances, employees will commit torts for which the employer bears responsibility, even when the employer disapproves of or expressly forbids the tortious conduct. Courts have held, for example, that a variety of allegedly defamatory comments fell within the scope of elected officials' employment because they were incidental to the officials' duties. Indeed, the D.C. Circuit has held even allegations of serious criminality will not take conduct outside the scope of employment. 
if the alleged tortious conduct was incidental to the defendant's legitimate employment duties. Here they're saying sometimes it's within your job, even if you commit a crime or say defamatory things. And defamation is mentioned several other times in this document. And I wonder if that's not a subsumed defense for their bad call in the E. Jean Carroll case. Just makes no sense to me. But this was the right call. In the E. Jean Carroll case, that was the wrong call. All right. Thank you for letting me get that out. I think this decision has massive implications. I can't understand why there's not wall-to-wall coverage on this in the news, but there isn't. So I wanted to go over it. All right. We'll be right back with the good news. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG for the Daily Beans. Acne breakouts always strike when you least expect them and when it's the least convenient. Day before your wedding, day before school photos. And for some reason at 47, we still don't get our zip clemency, which I'm kind of upset about. But that's why Apostrophe is awesome. They're a prescription skincare company offering science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to clear acne. With Apostrophe, you're connected with a board-certified dermatologist. Board-certified. Not like Rand Paul, who board-certified himself. These are actual board-certified dermatologists. They develop treatment plans specifically tailored to you. You just take their quick online quiz at Apostrophe about your skin goals and medical history. Take a few quick selfies and your dermatologist will create a customized treatment plan. I did this. I went through this process. It took minutes. It was so easy. And as well as treating acne, they help with other skincare goals like reducing redness and wrinkles and even dark spots. With Apostrophe, I get that real dermatologist and a plan customized to me. I submitted, like I said, super quick. And the best part was I didn't have to wait in line at a pharmacy. I didn't have to go anywhere. They send the meds directly to me. And we have a special deal for you. You can save $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist, making your visit just $5 at apostrophe.com slash beans when you use code beans. This code is only available to you. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash beans, click begin visit, then use the code beans at sign up and you'll get $15 off your visit. That's apostrophe, A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash beans and use the code beans to get your dermatology visit and save $15. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. And today's show is also brought to you by Kuyana. Fewer, better things. That is the philosophy behind Kuyana. This is a San Francisco women-run brand, which encourages customers to buy fewer but higher quality pieces. Kuyana's mission is to create clothing, accessories, and bags that women will wear and use every day and cherish for a very long time to come. Their leather bags are timeless, functional, and versatile for all occasions. Every product Kuyana makes meets the highest standard of craftsmanship while also working toward their sustainability goals, which I love. Through their Second Life programs, they provide a way to recycle every product they create. Kuyana was founded by two women, like I said, with the objective of creating high-quality, environmentally conscious products that last. Kuyana opened my eyes to the disposable fast fashion industry, and I've adopted a fewer, better lifestyle myself. I recently got the leather travel case set. It's amazing. It's the best-selling item at Kuyana, and I can see why. Its multi-purpose design includes two leather cases, one small and one large. They're great for trips, which I, I travel a lot. I love using them to pack my toiletries and beauty essentials. Kiana never goes out on sale, by the way, but we have a special offer. You guys can receive 10% off your first order over $150 plus free shipping by going to kuyana.com slash dailybeans, and they'll give you your individual code. That's kuyana, C-U-Y-A-N-A dot com slash dailybeans. Start shopping fewer better at kuyana.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And confessions, corrections, idioms of the world, idiots of the Senate, misheard lyrics, shared swears, find the cat, happy places, what the mutt, town twisters, limericks, whatever you have for us. You have a dispute you need settled by Amy Carrero and Amy's court? Tomorrow, dude, send it in. All you got to do is uh, go to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And uh, I'll go ahead and kick us off. This is a submission from Anne, pronoun she and her. Hello, Leguminati. 
This is actually a combination of sharing of the schadenfreude and a minor correction. Ooh, a correction. Alas, I have no pet tax of my own, as the sainted Mehitabel departed when the former guy occupied the White House. I'm so sorry. I guess this is a confession, too, since the theme song for Schadenfreude and the Fantasy Indictment League have been playing nonstop in my head since the indictment of Tom Barrick was announced. And now the Department of Justice has determined that inciting violent overthrow of the government is not, in fact, part of the official duties of Mo Brooks, Paul Gosar, or any other member of Congress, <laughs> and as such, will decline to defend him at the government's expense. Sad. More Schadenfreude. To my correction, while you are correct that the pandas have been a big part of the San Diego Zoo... <laughs> And in fact, had the first successful birth and subsequent panda dynasty, there are no longer any pandas in San Diego. Oh, that makes us West Coast panda fans very sad. Bayoun and her last cub, Zhaoli Wu, a.k.a. Mr. Wu or Wu Self, went back to China in the spring. That's right. Of 2019. There was some hope, and I guess there still is, that the San Diego Zoo will get more pandas. But it wasn't going to happen while the former guy was in charge. And now with the financial hit they took during COVID, I'm not sure when or if it will happen. I realize this correction was from something you said probably after the last time I checked in a while ago. And I've been meaning to write in, but, you know, time has no meaning. Thanks again. Time is a construct, Anne. Thanks for being a part of my day and providing all the news I need as well as humor, too. For co-opted pet tax, I share a photo taken by an absolutely fabulous photographer and panda whisperer extraordinaire, Molly Rivera. My trips to San Diego were greatly enhanced by getting to know Molly. Her photographs were unparalleled in capturing the souls of her beloved pandas. This is Bayoun with Mr. Wu as a baby. Oh. So, so, thank so, you for so that correction. sweet. Oh, I love panda bears. They're like drunk humans in big panda suits. It's really <laughs> just kind <laughs> totally. of flopping around. All right. This next one's from Misty. Pronouns she and her. Hello, Allison and Dana. Thank you for the work it takes to get us all the news, your deep dives and insights. I found you back in December via Trey Crowder, amazing guy, uh, the liberal redneck. I've been a faithful listener since. I want to share some good news. I have an amazing daughter. She's 18 and leaving for college in less than three weeks. She's uh, major. She's majoring. (laughs) (laughs) Let me try that again. I'm sure where my brain is. Yeah, my good. (laughs) I'm a Jordan physical education. Okay. She's majoring. This is even funnier. She's majoring in communications with a minor in political science. Her dream would be to work in D.C. When it happens, she's going to slay. So I was recently in the very unique situation of being in the job market, but with a five month heads up. During these last five months, I updated my CV, new headshots and explored what might be out there. I identified a possible opportunity with a local healthcare brand and proposed myself as a fix to their operation struggles. Again, very unique, but empowering. Long story short, well, long story kind of short. I received a job offer within two weeks to serve as their chief operating officer. My daughter was away with her dad, so I texted her the news in the company's website. Her response, damn, mama, break that glass. (laughs) There came the tears. Here's what she saw. Company president, 50-year-old white man, CEO, 70-year-old white man, CFO, 50-year-old white man, and now her mom, COO. 42-year-old woman. Fuck yes. Uh, that, that was my interruption. Yep. To know that she had great dreams and that I, we, are being seen by those behind us gives me amazing hope. Yay. Amazing hope. Thank you again for everything you all do. My pod pet tax, my pet tax, our three silly rescue boys, Gus, who's the blue healer, Jake, the border collie, and Watson, Chihuahua mixed pound pupper. Watson. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Oh, oh it does look too. like a Watson. The last one's like, I oh. know what's going on here. Yeah, it is. That very skeptical dog you have there. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. I like Watson. And look at the, oh, look at these babies. They're so pretty. That one looks so soft. I want to pet them. I want to pet them all. All right, next up from Danny, pronouns she and her. I work for the University of Wisconsin system, which covers all 13 public universities in the state. Ooh, they just announced they would offer the opportunity to win multiple $7,000 scholarships to students who were vaccinated wow. against COVID-19. The caveat, though, the university you go to must be at a 70% vaccination rate for you to be eligible. Hopefully, encouraging students to bend to positive social peer pressure from their friends to also get vaccinated. Interesting. Some individual universities are offering incentives beyond that $500 weekly drawings if you submit your vaccination record in order to get to the 70%. Although I wish it would just be mandated. <laughs> I've worked with college <laughs> students like, what? Yeah, dude, giving away all this money, just make them. <laughs> I've worked with college students long enough to know that most of them would get vaccinated for a free taco <laughs> or a free T-shirt. So a scholarship or $500 cash will also work. Seriously. For my pet tax, I'm submitting my 13-year-old Shih Tzu named Gizmo. I adopted him when he was eight years old <gasps> after he spent most of his life as a breeding dog in a puppy mill. So I'm oh glad God. I can give him the best life he can have in his senior years. Ooh! Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Look at all those snaggle teeth <gasps> and Gizmo's face and all the cuteness there. Oh, my God. This dog is so amazing. Look at the teeths. One, two, three, four, five teeths. And they're all just sort of Snag randomly in six there. teeth, six te six teeth randomly in there. Oh my god, so oh, cute! There's one. Oh, you're right. There's six. It, I didn't mean to shortchange you. It's okay. Me. We started a new game called "How many teeth does the dog have?" <laughs> All good. Dog All good. dentist. The dog yeah. dentist. We have a really short correction, uh, and then I guess I'll I get to close this out today. This is from John in New Jersey. He just wants to tell us that Don Pardo absolutely was the original voice on The Price Is Right. He was there from 1956 to 1963. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was negative 11 when he left. So I can see how I would have missed that. But thank you for that correction. <laughs> I had no idea. Don mm. Pardo. Well Taylor Green, come on down. Oh, I wonder if that's how he got the Saturday Night Live gig. Maybe. That was a really good impression of him too, my friend. I love Don Pardo. I do. All right. I miss him dearly. Okay. I'm going to give you a break and close this one out for us today. This is from Michelle, pronoun she and her. I started listening to MSW way back in the early days as I felt totally helpless in my own country. Your show and platform showed me that anyone can truly make a difference as long as they're willing to stand up and be heard. I'd always thought of myself as a business person, mom, not someone who was a politician. But through listening to so many stories of regular people running for office to work for their communities and country, I decided to run for local office, city council. Hell yes. Nice, Michelle. Now, I won't lie. It was scary to raise my hand and say, yep, I'm running. What I found out since taking that step is that there is a whole supportive community ready and waiting to mobilize behind candidates. I've connected with a few mentors and some other candidates locally where we can share ideas, resources, and what's working. I've gotten endorsements from some amazing groups like the Washington State 45th Dems, who provide training, resources, and a supportive community who believe in me. People have volunteered to help in ways big and small, from putting out yard signs to donating to knocking on doors and hosting block parties to meet me. Long story short, regardless of how my race turns out, I already feel like I've made a difference and I won't be afraid to run again. I hope this inspires others to raise their hands. There is a whole group of people just waiting to support you if you feel called even if you don't see yourself as a politician. Also, oh my God. I know. I've attached a picture of my, my kava poo 
pup, uh, Peter Parker to brighten your day. Yeah, my 10-year-old son named him. And my God, <laughs> this dog is so cute. A kava poo. Oh, oh, what a honey. I want to pet his face. Oh, look at the peats. Look at those paws. Oh, my goodness. The face. Oh, what? I know. I, I want to hug. Me? Ooh, ooh, the held t- the head tilt. Ooh. Oh, it's the best. <clears throat> well, thank oh. you for that. Hey, G, thank you. I don't want huh. you to sign off. I actually, I have a week now where I'm not going to be here, and I don't like it. Oh, that's right. Tell everybody this is my sign off. I will be back the week of the ninth, but I have my first. I'm very nervous because getting back out there scary for us artists that have to perform in front of live audience, especially with the variant, but I have my first work gig. And so I will be gone next week, but I will miss you all. I know you're in good hands, but I will, I'm l- looking forward to coming back on the ninth. All right. I'm going to miss you too, but keep texting me. I will. I promise. So hopefully we'll have some boom moments while I'm gone. Oh yeah. A nice, a nice Gates boom would really. Oh, make that my would, day. that'd be fabulous. That, Hey, that's it. You go out of town. We get an indictment. That's oh, how there it works. You go. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Right? Yeah. When, whenever either of us leave, boom. It happens. Yeah, it's so far it's happened twice. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, it's wonderful. We were both here, I think, when Tom Barrack was indicted. So sometimes I guess yeah. we can get lucky. I mean, the gays do control the weather. So who knows what powers I have and my space laser. Yeah, your space laser is a big part of, of why we're so successful. Yeah, my space laser is a big part, in that's the, for sure. In the deep space. <laughs> the deep space. The, de- the deep state. This is, this is getting real weird real quick. <laughs> and with that, uh, everybody, uh, we will be back, gosh, tomorrow with Amy Carrero. So again, if you have your court cases, if you have any disputes you want settled, send them in or anything else. Literally, Anything you want to send in, you can do it at (laughs) dailybeanspot.com and click on contact. And we appreciate you and everybody. Until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.